Episode 45, In Conclusion God knew that the Israelites would not keep the law and commandments perfectly. Therefore, as he wraps up the covenant with the Israelites, he reminds them of the consequences of following and not following the law. But God isn't out to destroy them for not obeying. He gives phases in which God disciplines the Israelites so that they would come back to the path of following him. Just like any good parent would discipline their child so that they would walk the correct path. Welcome to the History of the Bible. Last time, we talked about the feast that God had given to the Israelites. These feasts were to become regular parts of their lives, an extension of the Sabbath, where families, communities, and nations came together to rest, celebrate, and remember what the Lord had done for them. To wrap up the agreement that they had made between God and the Israelites, as in ancient times, the blessing and curses came at the end. Often, documents in Eastern cultures were laid out in a specific format, and the agreement between God and the Israelites was not any different. It would begin with the introduction of the speaker. In this case, it would be God. Then, the remembrance of historical events, showing the relationship in the past. This is done when God continually reminded the Israelites what he has done for them and bringing them out of the land of Egypt, as well as the close relationship that he had with their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The next part of the agreement would be the terms or all of the obligations. This is the part where, after the Lord reminded the Israelites of what he had done for them, he gives them the law and the commandments. The next part would be a statement within the agreement of how the document was to be handled. For the Israelites, this would be placing the document inside the Ark of the Covenant for safekeeping to all generations. Next, in ancient agreements, a witness would be called a third party to the two parties making the covenant. However, because there was and still is no one greater than God, he would use himself as a witness within the agreement, just as he did with Abraham. The Israelites would bring their witness too. Usually it was the elders of the clans or the whole nation that would bear witness against themselves if they broke the agreement. The last section of an agreement would be the curses and blessings. This is the part that would state what would happen if the contract wasn't upheld and the benefits if the agreement was followed through. This is where we are at in Leviticus, the part of the agreement in which the blessings and curses are presented inside of the agreement. In Leviticus 26, starting in verse 3, God says that if the Israelites follow his commandment, he will send in the rains in its season so that the ground will produce an abundance of crops and a rich harvest. In essence, the Lord would provide all that they needed to live. Rain was a very important thing for the Israelites 
as this was the main source of water for the land. Today, the country of Israel has a large difference from region to region in how much rain it gets. For example, in the northern part of modern-day Israel, near Upper Galilee, the area will receive up to 44 inches in a single year. Along the Mediterranean coast, rainfall can be up to 20 inches a year, and in the desert areas of the south, it can get up to one whole inch. The rainfall typically happens 60 days of the year, mostly during the rainy winter months of October through April. The rain each year was very important because when there was a shortage of rain, the summers would have severe water shortages. The Lord also would protect the Israelites. In Leviticus 26, verse 6, it says that the sword will not go through your land. This was no small thing, considering that the land that was promised to the Israelites had many battles fought in it. The reason is that the two major superpowers of the ancient times were located on either side of the land, Egypt to the southwest and of all Mesopotamia to the northeast. God promised that in battle, five of them would chase a hundred enemy soldiers and a hundred Israelites would rout a thousand enemy. This type of favor was sought out by many nations during ancient times, seeking their deities to give them and their nation protection and to prevail against their enemies. However, the Lord wouldn't only keep out wars and armies from coming into the land. He would keep out every harmful beast as well. That way, the Israelites would live in total peace in their land that was given to them. The Lord would also cause them to multiply so that they can fill the land. But one of the most important things that God promised to the Israelites is Himself. If the Israelites obey the words of the Lord, it says that the Lord will make His dwelling place among them, that He will walk among them, and they shall be his people, and he will be their God. This is the same thing that God did in the Garden of Eden back at the beginning of creation. Adam, Eve, and God all walked together in the Garden. Ultimately, this is where God wants to be with his people once again, in a relationship. Being able to be their God, walking among them, and they being his people in fellowship with their creator. Deities, during this time period, it was normal to seek the favor of the gods or goddesses, forcing nations to be good so that they could earn the favor of the deities. But with the Israelites, it was different. They already had the favor with God. That is why the covenant is being made in the first place. However, as we'll come to find out, the Israelites were not the best at listening to God and His voice. There were consequences for disobedience. In Leviticus 26, the blessing is a lot shorter 
than the curses that were to come if they did not listen. This was a common thing in ancient Eastern texts. However, what was different with this agreement between God and Israel and the rest of the nations surrounding them is how the consequences played out. Oftentimes, when a nation broke a covenant with a deity, they would fall out of favor with a god or goddess, and this would leave them vulnerable to attacks from evil spirits or other nations. But God's covenant was different in that instead of doing what the other nations expected of their deities, the Lord actively set his face against the Israelites, as it says in Leviticus 26, verse 17. One of the first things that would be a result of not obeying God was that panic, disease, and fever would consume them. The Israelites would be afflicted emotionally, mentally, and physically as a result of disobedience. A nation needed to win in battle, and one of the curses was if the Israelites disobeyed the Lord, that they would begin to lose in battle that when no one pursued them, they would still run, because out of fear of destruction by no one. The land would be prepared for harvest, but the Israelites' enemies would come in and take all that was produced. This is the first phase of the consequences if the Israelites were to disobey God and His commandments. If the disobedience was to continue among the Israelites, then phase two would begin. This phase would only be against the soil of the land. In Leviticus 26 verse 19, the Lord warns the Israelites that if they do not turn back to him, he will make the heavens like iron and the earth like bronze, meaning that the rains will not come when they are needed and expected. The land would be in a drought, The earth is like bronze, as explained in verse 20, and that the people will spend their strength trying to prepare the land for crops, but the ground will not bear any produce. The land nor the trees will bring forth a crop. Even after these things, if the Israelites still do not turn back to God, then the Lord will begin phase three. This phase is the Lord letting loose the wild beasts that were originally held out of the land so that they could live in peace. However, because of disobedience, these wild beasts will come in and terrorize the Israelites. The beasts will come in and kill the children, destroy livestock, and cause fear of traveling on the roads to happen. After the beasts are let loose in the country, and the Israelites still have not turned back to God, then phase four will begin. This one is to bring the sword of pestilence, promising that when the enemies come to fight against them and the Israelites hide inside their cities, that pestilence will come. This would bring about a shortage of food within the nation. Phase five is the final one. In this phase, it is promised that the Israelites will eat their sons and daughters. In other words, they will turn towards cannibalism. 
The reason for this is because all of the other phases will lead to the Israelites being locked in their cities under siege from their enemies with nothing to eat. Thus, they will turn to eat their children so that they can survive. Cannibalism has been discovered to happen on every continent. For a variety of reasons, humans eat other humans. In ancient times, often, this was only done in desperate times of extreme hunger, which usually happened for those that were in the cities placed under siege during the battle. However, Phase 5 is still not finished with its consequences. The Lord says that He will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars, casting the Israelites' dead bodies into the dead bodies of their idols. On top of that, the Lord says that He will devastate the land, destroy the cities, and devastate the sanctuaries, and allow foreigners to settle in the land. This would result in the Israelites becoming a conquered nation and being sent into exile. In Leviticus 26 verse 33, it says that the Lord will scatter the Israelites among the nations. Now, when going through the curses that will result in the disobedience of God's commandments, it might seem that the Lord is wanting to punish the Israelites. However, he isn't wanting to destroy them. The reason that the Lord does multiple phases of discipline is so that at each point it gives the people a chance to turn away from their sins and walk with God. Leviticus 26 gives a picture of why this discipline is happening. The Lord says that if by this discipline you are not turned back to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you. The Lord is walking in a certain direction, and He isn't going to change paths, because that is who the Lord is. However, when the Israelites no longer walk with God, they are walking in a different direction from Him. Now, looking at God as a good father that he is, because that is how Jesus describes him, what parent would not discipline their child that is wandering from the path? In reality, a child will wander from the path multiple times, but the parents will help bring them back. That is why God has multiple phases of discipline that are meant to bring the Israelites back to the path of walking with their God because he wants to walk with them. In Leviticus 26 verse 45, God identifies himself as the Israelites' God. That is like a parent proudly saying to the people around them that they are the parent of that child. And it's interesting to think that God, who created everything, wants to identify himself as the Israelites' God. And later in the Bible, he identifies himself as being the God of all believers. The phases of discipline naturally get more intense. They start with just the disease and fear of others, then beasts coming into the land, 
the nations will come against them and pestilence, and then the destruction of the nation as a whole, being sent into exile. God gives the Israelites a roadmap of how the discipline will happen. That way, when they do wander from the path, they can realize why disease and fear of other nations are beginning to arise, or why beasts are showing up in their land. It's all to help them realize that they are wandering from God. But God gives them a way out. Once the Israelites are taken from their land because they choose to not walk with God, He gives them a way to return. Starting in Leviticus 26, verse 40, it says that if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers, then the Lord will remember the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This isn't that God forgot the word that he gave to the Israelites' forefathers, but remember in the sense that he will fulfill and bring them back to the promises that God made with them. This would conclude the covenant in the agreements that were made between God and the Israelites, with Moses being the mediator, again, a picture of Jesus in the future, as Leviticus 26, verse 46 says, These are the statutes and rules and laws that the Lord made between himself and the people of Israel through Moses on Mount Sinai. But, like all good agreements, there is an amendment. However, it isn't the amendment in that something was forgotten in the agreement. It's more of a postscript section, or an appendix. Leviticus 27. Some believe it to be a section that was added later on. However, most believe that it was simply an appendix to the agreement, so that it would inform the people of how to fund the sanctuary or tabernacle. The last chapter in Leviticus is all about vows and dedications to the Lord. It begins by talking about if a person vows or dedicates himself to serving the Lord. However, because only Levites were allowed to serve in the tabernacle, people that vowed themselves to the Lord would be given other services that were not related to the tabernacle, but served the Levites. An example later on in history would be Samuel in the way that he served the Lord, but not directly to the tabernacle as he served the priests with their tasks. And just like Samuel, a person can be dedicated by another person for the service of the Lord. Samuel's mother dedicated him to the service of the Lord if she was given a child. A person could dedicate themselves or another person that was under their household. This could be their family member, a child, a spouse, or a household servant. Often, these type of vows or dedications were the results of passion to serve the Lord or the response of a divine blessing from the Lord. Now, if a person wanted to get out of service to the Lord, in other words, break their vow to serve, because they are not part of the tribe of Levi, they were allowed to leave the service of the Lord. However, to break this vow, 
a payment to the sanctuary was to be made. The value that was placed on being released from service was based on the person's age and sex. For example, a male between the ages 20 and 60 was to pay 50 shekels of silver. A shekel was the equivalence to 0.4 ounces, and all of it was to be paid in silver. For a female of the same age was 30 shekels. A male between 5 and 20 was 5 shekels of silver. A female of the same age was 3 shekels. Male over the age of 60 was 15 shekels, and a female was 10 shekels. However, if the person was too poor and could not pay this amount, the priest was to set the amount that was affordable to the person in service. These prices that are to be paid in the event of ending a vow were just about the same price of a slave that would have been sold for in the Mesopotamian region. However, the difference between service to the Lord and slaves in other kingdoms is that there was no difference in the amount paid to the sanctuary. It stayed the same, never going up or down with the market, and it wasn't based on physical features of the person either. Slave prices went up and down with the market. It could be bargained, it could change from person to person because of physical stature. But it wasn't only people that could be dedicated to the Lord. Animals, houses, lands, and objects could all be dedicated to the Lord. For animals, clean or unclean, could be dedicated to the sanctuary, not for offerings, but for service. Or it could be sold by the priest and the money used for the sanctuary. Land, because it was already the Lord's, the crops grown on the land would be dedicated to the sanctuary. In the case that a person wanted to get back what they dedicated to the Lord, either their animal, house, or land back from the service, a payment of 20% more of its value would be added and paid to the sanctuary. However, the land would be returned back to the owner in the year of Jubilee, which happened every 50 years. The whole book of Leviticus was given to Moses from the newly assembled tabernacle at the base of Mount Sinai. The commandments of the Lord were meant to call out the Israelites to be a holy nation, not because they did anything special, but because God chose them. He wanted to become their God and for them to be his people. However, because God is holy and sin cannot be around him, that is why he gave the Israelites the commandments so that they could be in a relationship with one another. Just like it was in the beginning when God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. In reality, no one person can keep all the laws perfectly. No matter how hard a person tried, they would eventually fail to follow the commandments. That is why God sent Jesus. God knew that we would never be able to fulfill all of the commandments. So he sent Jesus to be the ultimate sacrifice that would fulfill all of the laws for us 
so that we can now have that relationship with God that He has always wanted with us. A relationship where God is our God and we are His people. The whole book of Leviticus points to Jesus. As that wraps up the book of Leviticus, we will follow the Israelites as they leave the base of Mount Sinai and finally head towards the Promised Land. So join us next time in episode 46, The Book of Numbers. Until next time, remember that you are loved, special, and worthwhile.